it was like the floodgates opened right there. They they initially pushed for a $10 million resolution to get appropriate funds for the Nineveh plane. Wow. In our name. That was a great move. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Assyrian Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to interview none other than the Silver Fox, Martin Yomarin. And if you don't know Martin, he's the president of the Assyrian American National Federation. You know that federation that puts on our annual conferences across the country? The Assyrian Convention, one of the most exciting Assyrian events there is. We're going to talk to Martin about what drives him, what his passions are, a little bit about his family. We get to learn about a new event that the Assyrian National Federation is putting on. And we get to learn why the federation runs the conventions the way that it does. Really good stuff, stuff I know we've all thought about from time to time. So I'm going to let the tape play. But first, if you know someone who should be on the Assyrian Podcast, please email me at assyrianpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe there's a story that needs to be heard, and you're the person to do the interview. I'd love to get you on the Assyrian Podcast. Share this podcast, rate us on iTunes, and review, because it really does help. And with that being said, let's hear from Martin. My family is originally from Iraq, which is Assyria, but migrated and transitioned just like the refugee stories that we hear today to Lebanon. Through Lebanon came to the United States. I was born in transition, so I was like a, a refugee baby or a transition. In uh, Lebanon, In though. Lebanon, What though. city? Uh, Beirut. Okay, During but the you Civil weren't there War very long. During the Civil War of 1975. And so my, my father and many took defense against the, uh, it was during the Christian Civil War. And luckily, in April of 76, we came to the U.S. So you arrived here in 1976. Where did your parents show up? They came to Chicago, and we stayed with a family for a few days until they were able to secure an apartment for our big family. It wasn't just my father, my mother, ours, and us. It was my father, my mother, my grandparents, my dad's brothers, uh, sisters. And we stayed with people until we were able to get our own place. They would call it, uh, it was near Clark Street, called Kempichirwai. It was like an area where people of the Ajilu tribe of Assyrians would would, would congregate, more or less like Turlock, where it's a, yeah. a Assyrian a hub. So this was an Assyrian hub in Chicago. A lot of Assyrians came to Chicago, and so that's where it was. What did your started. parents do to kind of put a roof over your head? Worked tirelessly. Yeah. I mean, we were taken care of by my grandparents, and my parents worked multiple jobs, uh, everybody just to come together, pull their money together, and buy something. And eventually, in late 70s, two, three years later, they bought a big building on the north side of Chicago where we lived for over 25 years. We were on the third floor. My grandparents were on the second. And we either rented out the first floor or our other uncles lived there. So pulled their money together. And, so and the example you were given is hard work, perseverance, and your parents, I'm assuming, you know, have been completely successful here and have raised you and your siblings. Yes, I have a sister, Monica, who's, you know, I love her to death. There's just two of us. And I have a sister named Monica also. There you go. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> yeah there's only two of us, but uh, my parents worked multiple jobs. And my dad was a, worked for Zenith Corporation, was once in the Popular Science magazine at one point. Popular Science for what? Because they were just there showing the new tubes and uh, TVs okay. that Zenith had. And he was there. And so he was one of the guys, you know putting the tubes in. So when they were bought out, he received the severance package 
and started his own businesses, dollar stores, before dollar stores were even dollar stores, and a video store before Blockbuster. So a very successful entrepreneur at one point, and then fell on hard times and whatnot, and just, you know, gathered himself, and my mom just continued to work. When she came to the U.S., like, they worked hard. She was a mother, and she worked at the bookstore and went to school at uh, Northeastern Illinois University so she can get a degree and uh, to better herself, to better our family. And it's paid dividends because today my mother works for the U.S. Embassy, uh, works for the Department of State, uh, U.S. Embassy in Iraq. And really? she has been a translator, ling uh, linguist, since 2006 on. And so she just got another promotion. And yeah, so she goes into harm's way. And she loves it, and she's a dedicated Syrian American, and she's proud she's of what she does. She's living in Iraq now. She, yeah, she's here visiting. Sure. She's here with us uh, for the holidays, and she's going to be returning next week. But she worked for the DoD, uh, Department of, uh, or sorry, Department of State, and uh, at the U.S. Embassy. So it's rewarding because they've shown the, the hard work and dedication what it takes to make it. It's paid dividends, and it's uh, helped us be who we are. And for you, you not only grew up in a strong Assyrian home, but I'm assuming like you went to a lot of these civic functions, different organizations growing up, parties, yeah. all this kind of stuff, conventions. Yes. Because how old were you when you got to the States? Uh, I was not even a year. Okay. So, yeah. So okay. everything I You were truly I born in transition then. Yeah, true, truly. Yeah. I mean, when I, I mean, they say I was born there. I'm like, why? How? My parents were from, you know, Iraq. You know, Lebanon, they're like, you're Lebanese? No, I'm not Lebanese. I was, you know, but yeah, so. Well, there's probably a story there, there too, is. of how they ended up in Lebanon. Yeah, right? uh, of course. The, the story is pretty much just a ref every refugee story, and that's the key. I, I mean, it's, you know, you look for a better life for your family, so you go. And you go to where you can get the visas to the United States. Or so people here, well, guess what? They're given visas from Jordan. Okay, so people will say, okay, let's go to Jordan. Or if they say, you know what, the best pathway is Lebanon. Okay, so go to Lebanon and the church is there. You fill out the forms and they'll get you to America or to Australia or to others. In, in my family's case, they went to Lebanon. My grandparents on my mother's side, my mom's family, a year prior, went to Australia. And our family split. And my mother wound up marrying my dad and went with us. And we went to Lebanon instead. She went with our family. And that's how... They got married earlier than sooner rather than later because her family had gotten the visas to to Australia and she didn't want to go. Oh, my goodness. So she, so she, she, she pretty much eloped. Yeah. They eloped. And it was a big drama. Oh, I'm sure family. that didn't so it was go a great, well. But it's all, all in all worked out. But we went. they went to Lebanon uh, and then from there went to, came to the U.S. And we still have family in Australia. Just like with every Syrian refugee happens, we're scattered all over the world. People always wonder, like, why are Assyrians everywhere? It's because we're spread everywhere because of this refugee crisis and the suffering for a hundred years that we're trying to find. And that's another story. Yeah. But it's just because of our, our life struggle, looking for a better life. Truly. And I appreciate you you know, sharing the back end story. And you're right. Everybody has their own story. <laughs> With that being said, you grow up in an Assyrian home. You grow up connected to the Assyrian community. Yeah. You go to school for business. Yeah. And where did you get your undergrad? DePaul University. DePaul. Yeah. And then did you end up going beyond the undergrad? No. No, I had a work experience at, because I finished. I went to, I was going to school while I was already working full time. So you're working full time and you're into wealth management? Yeah. Now, is that something you're actually... Passion. Yeah. It's a, it's a part of me because I was always in banking, always in finance. I started as a teller, worked my way of customer service, and then while I was going to school. 
than going to college. Actually, I was a teller when I was 17 years old, which is unheard of because you're not even 18 yet. I was they're letting you handle a lot of money. Yeah. But then um, a part of it was, uh, you know, it's a lot of people don't know this, but uh, and it's a part of it. I'm proud of it. And it's a part of my life. I, I, I was a uh, U.S. Marine when, when I was 18. I went to the Marine Corps. I became a Marine. And after training and, and everything, I received a medical separation, discharge honorably from the Marine Corps, came back home. So I became a Marine. I was a Marine for uh, pretty much the, for the full year. And then I came back and got an honorable discharge and went back to school and got my degree and worked hard while I was working in full time and then uh, continued on to pursue my career. And so when I was in banking, I would see a need. I was looking at it and I was like, yeah, banking's good. And then when I became, I saw the financial guys, I would refer people to the financial advisors and I would see their checks and I would see the differences. And I'm like, well, I just closed this deal for you. Why are you getting the big commission checks? It's like, well, because I have my license. I'm like, oh, okay, got it. Okay. So then I went and got my license and then I became the financial advisor. And then I've been doing that for over 20 years now. And how has your Assyrian ethnicity influenced you in terms of how you manage your money, how you help others to manage their money? Manage my money? I, I like to live life. So I'm good at managing other people's money, but my own, it's a, it's a little, it's yeah. good. It's good. <laughs> I live. You know, yeah. it's like some people don't go vacation mm-hmm. and some people really, really, you know, save and save and save. But I believe in you got to live life see mm-hmm. the world and you know tomorrow's never promised so live for today and that's what I do and now and I did that a lot when I was single but now that I have a wife and two kids it's a little different so where did I'm, you meet your wife let me go back because I think I didn't answer the oh, question okay. of the importance of the events that's right sorry we got off on a got tangent, a tangent yeah, right ahead. so ever since I was a child we would always go to conventions Syrian conventions because my father William Umar was a member of Sid Marzai organization in Chicago, one of the affiliate members of the Federation, and prior to that, the Syrian Universal Alliance. Uh, he was always an active member in the community. And so ever since we were kids, uh, we would be a part of the festivities for Hapnisan parades. I was a part of the World Cup soccer parade, 1994, in downtown Chicago, where we had a big float, and I was wearing soldier attire and pushing the float, mm-hmm. uh, which we literally had to push because uh, the engine of the car broke down, that mm. was, and so we really pushed it. Multiple, uh, every convention was really exciting because that was always a great time to see friends and to celebrate the Assyrian culture and to be with other Assyrians from around the world. So people would come and it would be at a different location every year. Uh, so people from all over would get a chance to experience it. And that's great. That was great. And that was always fun to be because it was always Labor Day weekend. We'd do that and then we'd come home and start school. Then we had the AAA of Chicago, Assyrian American Association of Chicago, our longest standing affiliate over 100 years. They were amazing because they provided a place where every Sunday they would have indoor picnics. And then we'd have like, you know, get the kids and you're more or younger generation. There's a lot of Assyrians in Chicago. A lot of Assyrians, yeah. And so they would be there to, to do events and what that was our biggest banquet at the time. Then the uh, Sikh Marzai opened uh, Roscoe Hall, which was another uh, banquet hall, mm-hmm. and they would have other events there. Those were events locally in Chicago because Chicago was a hub pretty much, and that's Turlock has become now. So it's really big. Did you grow up going to the Assyrian church? Yes. 
And we, so that I, was a big part of your life as well as the yeah, community? the Assyrian church and also my mother at one point, you know, because she came from the Catholic church, mm-hmm. uh, her side, gave, we, we took our first communion mm-hmm. as well. And I, you know, it was actually good in one way because we went to both. I was in a choir in the Assyrian church of the East, Marsalia's church, which I still love. That's still our original church in Chicago on Kyler. My grandmother and my aunt. Uh, my father's aunt, they're still running the kitchen there. They always run it, and they're, they're, they're great. They always take care of their church. And that's where we were, a part of the choir, and that's part of the church. But then on the other side, you know, they had, um, you know, First Communion. My other cousins were in it from the Catholic Church, and they were, you know, and we also were, we took part of the communion. You know, I believe, you know, religion is, is important in our community, and I don't differentiate Today, I, I, am, I am a proud member of the Syrian Church of the East, mm-hmm. and I, I believe that church is, is our, you know, mother church, and they've, they've done a lot of great things. But I believe every church, you know, I, I, I'd go to every church to pray, and it's not, I'm not against, you know, I, I mean, it's a house of God. I don't differentiate at this point. Yeah. I don't know if that's, that's, that's what I think Christian. when, at least in, where I was growing up, there was this sentiment of like, they go to that church and they go to that church. Like there's a distinction and uh, that distinction wasn't good. Yeah. What's happening now is people have moved on from that type of thinking. Yeah, that's important. And now you see a lot of relationship building and communities coming together, church, different church ideologies coming together, people coming together. Because at the end of the day, if you're reading the Bible, the Bible tells you, it's straightforward. It's not, you can't differentiate. And the distinctions are sainthood versus a non-sainthood and other things versus, I mean, you know, uh, doing the cross with the left hand versus the right hand or crossing it from the right mm-hmm. to left. I mean, it's really, you know, I don't, I don't really, I'm sorry, I'm not really a religious person per se with regards to the understanding that like the, like the structure of how that all happens and whatnot. But it, I really think the church really has helped keep us as Assyrians and and keep our uh, language alive where it could have easily gone away. But I really think as a sense of community brought a lot of people together and, and some of the divisions caused by some of them, uh, the churches in the past, hopefully now, like you said, it's gone and it's brought more peace and harmony. That's the, that's the goal, I think. Right, right, yeah. And I think within the Assyrians, it's especially important that we are in positive relationships with one another and not looking for always pointing out the differences. So going back to your story, you do your bachelor's, you get into wealth management, you grow up in this Assyrian home with the Assyrian community, the Assyrian church. Where does the Assyrian National Federation start to come into your life? A while back, it was, uh, what was it, 2006 or 2000? Yeah, 2006. Three years in, I'm in my career, I'm working. I, you know, three years after this fall of Saddam, or when he fell, and and we see after 9-11, all that happened. You know, I'm seeing what's happening to our people. I'm seeing what's happening back home. And I'm just at work, and, and I'm just, like, you know, shaking my head and very just distraught. And at the time, you know, I was going through a divorce, and a lot of stuff has happened. I'm just focused on what's happening to our people back home. And uh, my uh, founder of my firm, Nate Shapiro, sees me and says, what's wrong with you? I'm like, oh, I'm just looking at what's happening back home, and it's just disheartening because nobody's helping our, my people. And he's like, well, do something about it. I'm like, you know, he's Jewish, and I'm just like, well, we're not like the Jewish community. We can't, we don't have that power in D.C. to do something. We can't. There's nobody where I can pick up the phone will listen to us. Yeah. I've tried. Nothing happens. No, that's not true. You can do it. And 
he had connections to uh, you know to our congressman Mark Kirk at the time, and he called up his connection that he had and said we need to meet make a meeting right away. We had a meeting the next week, which was January 17, Martin Luther King holiday at his office. So we met Congressman Kirk on a national holiday. And he said, what can I do to help? Let me know. And he gave us, he sat there, just supported, how said, helped them. And we came there and presented a plan, the Ninua Plain Sustainable Report created by ISDP initially, which was Michael Uesh and uh, Iraqi Sustainable Democracy Project. It was a, it was a plan to present to America and others to restructure, rebuild, reconstruct, you know, Nineveh Nineveh Plains Plains, in in the area. Something that we're still trying to work on today. And he took that and everything is like, okay. So the following week, it was like the floodgates opened right there. They they initially pushed for a $10 million resolution to get appropriate funds for the Nineveh Plain. Wow. In our name. That was a great move. And there was something big. And I had the president at the time, which Mr. Leighton Hamas of the Federation, he was there because I asked my father, I said, look, I got this meeting, it's critical, but I need, I need influential people in the community who are actually decision makers who represent our community. To go in with you. To go in with and me. Don't bring me taxi to... drivers. Don't bring me right. people that are, you know, not You needed somebody articulate. who's got some reach. Reach, but somebody who can articulate what's happening. They need. Sure. So they obviously the long list you, within our community. There's so many people that are great people that will really are activists, or really are real umtanaya, mm-hmm. or people that like umtanaya means like nationalistic. Sure. Yeah. And and uh, they want to you know help their people, but they're not. They're uh, not necessarily the best politician. The best, best politician can't articulate the message sure. clearly. It's just that you want. The people, the policy, if you're speaking to a member of Congress, that's why they send lobbyists Mm -hmm. because they know how to speak to them. They know how to present things. So, you know, we we add a few of the good ones. And then the president of the Federation, because it's solid, it's the main main organization in America representing a national group uh, of affiliates. And then that opened up door. And so from there, the president asked me to, you know, come aboard. Uh, as a regional director, I, I didn't want to be involved because back in the day, I would look at it like, oh, I would it would be a waste, such a waste of time dealing with a lot of the organizationals because it was all old school infighting and waste of time with so many different arguments splitting over hairs. splitting hairs over something immaterial, you know, something dismissive really easily, but something there was there's too much infighting, too many problems, so it's like it was just it was uh, not time was well spent. So I felt, look, the more I, I preferred to do it at a different level and I felt, okay, but it was, I definitely saw what, what my father and others had and I said, okay, it's a time to, you know, get involved. And he asked me to be the regional director because they needed a younger group. I did, I jumped in and I have never looked back. And now it's it's a different story and now I'm the president of the Israel American and I believe I'm the youngest president at that. And what's the official and, name? Assyrian American National Federation. And how many members? 22 affiliates, meaning organizations around yeah. the United States. Got it. So like member, member organizations. The Assyrian Confederation of Turlock in San Jose. And Assyrian the- American Association of uh, Civil Club of Turlock. Yeah. And, uh, all of others. them, basically. 22 of them. 22 of them, yeah. So at least 22 different cities. Uh, not 22 different cities, no. There's about uh, seven, you would say seven or six from California. You would say four, five or six, actually seven from Chicago, uh, Illinois, uh, two from Connecticut, and one from Vegas, and uh, three from Arizona. So that's and basically And what's the process for somebody like you becoming the president? Of you that? Have, 
Yeah, so the process is basically you have to be voted in by the members, uh, the convention. It's a two-year term. Uh, this year is a re-election year, which I'll be running for re-election because obviously you can't do any, everything one term. So hopefully Two years is short, Two right? years is very so, short. Yeah. You get four to eight. I mean, it just would... Well, what we're trying to do is ch change federation, you know, because the Constitution written established in 1933. A lot of stuff has happened. A lot of changes have been made. But what we want to do is make sure that it grows and, and the uh, the structure that it is right now needs to be overhauled to a certain point to make it more welcoming for new members, not just affiliate members, but individuals and others that want to contribute to the community and don't have a platform. Or well, the Assyrian National Convention is is known throughout the world for Assyrians. It's known as that's the place you go to meet other Assyrians. Yes, 100%. That's where you go for our annual events. Right. And, you know, there's state conventions and then there's the national convention. People fly in from all around the world, which wanted to ask, so of the 22 affiliates, do they each get a voting right? Yeah. Or? Okay. So, so the way that works with the voting is that uh, they get uh, five votes, each affiliate member group, in addition to all the chairmen that we have at standing committees that have votes and the executive office. Okay. And is it a paid position? No. So you're doing all this volunteer? Volunteer. I do have a budget, a sure. small budget, yeah. just travel here and there. There's more out of pocket and and sometimes people don't understand. It's mm -hmm. just, and I'm thankful to my employers that allow me to do it because there's not that many do it. Sometimes that's why people say it's not for a young person who's still growing. I'm not, it's not like I'm young. I'm 42 but years old. Established. But I'm established as a professional working full time with two young kids and a wife and a family young, where it's not as the president's past have been in their 60s or or older that are you know are in a retirement mode this is all they do so so for those of you that are listening something you have to know about Martin Martin you've been going gray since how old 18 you've been going gray since yeah, 18 yeah I colored a little bit just to put some black back in because it, it was looks getting too gray great yeah, and uh, you're you're coming that way too yeah there. to all of us who started going gray earlier you're, you're like the uh, pioneer in I terms am. of sporting it because and it worked because yeah. Now you're married and yeah. you have, you know, amazing wife and you two met at one of the conventions or where did you meet? She became the executive secretary of the federation and we met initially so in Chicago. So she was automatically working on yeah, she within met, the community. Yeah, within the community. She was working here in Sherlock, California and working in part of the civic club. She was recommended to be a secretary of the federation. So she took that position on February 2013, I believe. And then September of 2013 is when we met. From February on, like April, May, we started working together on the convention committee. She was a secretary and she was always on the calls and we'd always work. And then we connected at the convention in September. And from, from there, we started dating from that point on. It didn't take long before I knew she was the one and, you know, asked her to marry me. February of 2014, November of 2014, we had our wedding. July and here you are, 2016, we had our later. beautiful daughter, Sophia, July 4th, 2016, and then our beautiful daughter, Kiana, was born November 19th, a day after Sweetie's birthday, uh, just this past year. So, yeah. Sophia Sharokina, Kiana Arbella. Congratulations so, and beautiful yeah. names. So, you get voted in to be the president of the federation, and now... Just wanted to throw a bunch of questions out there that I think Assyrians might wonder about. Yeah. How do you guys choose where these Assyrian conventions are being held? Like sometimes I go to it, it's in Chicago or San Diego. Yeah. It's like, what's the process there? Because I've been noticing, I think others might notice as well, that it's been kind of in the same cities or similar areas. Yeah. 
Um, so we want to hear about that. How do you choose the speakers? And then what do you, what's going on in terms of making it the fun experience it was like, for example, for you growing up and going to those things, it meant so much. And yeah. are there any challenges or successes in terms of adapting it to meet a different audience? So I think I just great, asked you great, 15 all questions. All great questions, but yeah. that's great. So Back in the day, the way it was, Constitution was structured was that the convention would move from region to region each yep. year. So this year, it's the uh, Midwest. So normally, it would be in Chicago. But times have changed. What we noticed was it's becoming really expensive in the cities where we want to keep get mm-hmm. convention into. And the, the requirements for us to have them conventions there financially were not sustainable. So we had to find other options. In addition to that, uh, they weren't profitable to us because the only way we could do it in Chicago was at $200 a night, 189 per room night. And it was very expensive for a lot of our people. So it didn't have the attendance that we wanted. Even so the short and long of it, people are not going to attend when it's going to cost them way too much. Right. Because you look at it, the travel costs are outrageous. For a family of four, you're looking at a $300, $350 ticket plus four four nights of room at $200 a night with tax and everything. And the taxes in these big cities were outrageous. So we looked at other options. Way back, it was, I think it was 2011, 2012 when I was getting involved. We came up with the idea, we as us, came up with the idea as a res, uh, resort option. We said we need to look at it later where we want to make it a family fun vacation for people. And we should look at the resorts. I think our people are better suited that way. It's it's outdoor more. It's not everybody's not holed up into one big hotel, you know, minimizing damage or others would you know, that would happen and when you bring two thousand people or more into one hotel. We had started having a lot of success with having it in Arizona. A lot of people loved it, wanted it always there. We did it in Arizona because in September there's only a few places where in America where it's going to be warm. It's Labor Day weekend, too. It's Labor Day weekend, and, and the weather is really not comply with what we want. Mm-hmm. Nine times at 10, it's still nice in Chicago. It's like just turning fall. Uh, it's the end of summer, but people prefer the warm weather, and and we, hit, we saw more success that way. So because of the financial burden of the Federation, uh, what we needed to do is make sure that we weren't losing money. Why was there a financial profit. burden? Well, because there was mistakes made prior by... Uh, past administrations that put the federation in a bind, be it lawsuits and getting into political battles and church battles that they shouldn't have gotten into, making bad decisions with real estate or other bad investments or bad contracts at hotels and conventions that they should have held. For example, they held one in Connecticut and contracted out the whole hotel. But not as many people were willing no, to go to Connecticut. Than only 300 attendees when they signed up for a thousand mm-hmm. and we lost a lot of money there. Bad decisions is just to rebuild the coffers, but also to make sure that people saw a benefit for the, from the Federation, from the conventions. People, we want them to attend. That's the main point. The other issue was that having it in these big cities where we had a lot of their options, what you wanted to do is bring people to a resort, make sure that they're there and they stay there to enjoy the events and whatnot. And that's why it was better to find a resort in an area like Arizona where it has so many of them. And uh, it also, it's good to have where you have a base of people. And that's why we've done it there the past few years, we we are shifting it back. We're, we're looking at other options. One big problem that we see is that the food and beverage minimums that they require our people to have for that number of attendees, when you tell them 2,000 attendees or 1,500 attendees, they say they want a minimum of 150,000 food and beverage that you have to sign up for because they're figuring you're having 1,500 people, 200 people, they're going to have to eat. So 
hundred dollars, and you know the actual ticket to buy to go to a con- is not very expensive. No, hundred dollars registration roughly is what it is for three four nights, four days of full. So you activities. guys have to figure out singers, DJs. Yeah, uh, there's budgets. So, yeah. so people think, oh, where's that all that money go? Well, right. You know, we we spend twenty five thousand just on entertainment. We spend uh, ten fifteen thousand on education. We spend uh, ten thousand on. Which that uh, I sense has been a major difference. Uh, at least, maybe I'm older and I'm more interested. But when I was growing up, were they doing these educational sessions as much? No. If you recall, the first one we did when I when when we met in Arizona, mm-hmm. we made one pro like just. Put put it together last minute, which was great. Mm-hmm. But we had some good people there. But we put it together. You know, you you have to spend a lot. So, but then also the profits. The way that it all works is your affiliates and and the federation will get a portion of those profits. So it's basically a split of sixty forty. And federation keeps sixty forty percent goes, goes to all the affiliates. Goes to all the affiliates. Yeah. How is the federation doing now financially? Financially, we're coming back. We're coming back, and you know what? Even with when we don't have a lot of money, we're still d- d- helping our people. So um, sixty forty, and then sixty goes to federation, forty goes to your affiliates, yep. and not every year because some years we lose money. That's the problem. That's mm-hmm. why we we had not lose money because our affiliates were not getting a benefit. What you have to figure money. out is how to make it higher quality without ha- without necessarily having raising the financial the resource. Yeah, yeah, raising costs. So then one big way of that was sponsorships, and that's why we're pressing on sponsors to come through as many sponsors as we can. Uh, second thing is uh, additional revenue options. Uh, for us, uh, we're establishing our own YouTube channel mm-hmm. or paid channel where you can subscribe to. Uh, we're establishing a membership-based non non uh, voting member right now, but where you're going to get a membership base and you're going to get access to certain access content. to certain content that others won't, like all oh, f- previous convention content, other stuff there, lectures and stuff. Yeah, I believe you gave a lecture mm-hmm. once. But we have so many different things that people can go back into. But that's content that we paid for so mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we give it to our community we give scholarships we support Gishru, a birthright assyrian trip every year so it sends kids to iraq to see the homeland uh, assyria. assyria we say assyria Steve. yeah yeah no iraq assyria <laughs> uh, but yeah so we went to turabdin turkey we, all parts of old assyria that that there hopefully one day we'll go to iran and syria all the parts to make sure that you know we see, we you know everywhere where we the Syrians touch, maybe even at carry. Do you feel a lot of pressure to to really put on a convention that will attract the masses? Yeah, I do. And and here's what we did last year. You said bringing stuff and that everybody wants. Uh, there there have some issues, not issues. It's it's like misconceptions, or you would say people think, oh, there's it's just a big party, or mm-hmm. it's a big pool party now. It's right. Arizona. It's only all about the pool. That's one aspect. The other parts are there's a big, beautiful educational portion, cultural portion. It's a beautiful art exhibit. And last year, what we did is we partnered up with the Syrian Art Institute and a great organization mm-hmm. established here in California by a great philanthropist, uh, a Syrian activist woman. Uh, she's a mentor to me, uh, Nora Yusuf Lacey, who established it. And so we said, look, we'd love for a Syrian art to be a part of the Federation uh, conventions and to help with help. She'd love that. And they became, became part of it. We had a big entertainment event, a big dinner, where our presidential banquet dinners were really boring and, and all about speeches and dragged. We had a beautiful dinner with a beautiful entertainment aspect. People ate and drank and we spoke a little bit and, the, and it was less than two, three hours and everybody can enjoy their night. Beautiful art exhibit. 
and we had Paul Bento painting by Paul Bento, live live painting, a Syrian artist, and uh, another. So he one, would do stuff right on the spot. Yeah, he did the he did the entertainment portion. He drew it right off, right off where the dancers we had who presented at UNESCO in a Syrian dance. So I, I remember growing up, going back to the Syrian conventions, what they were like. When I was growing up, it was all about the lobby, hanging out in the lobby. It still is. <laughs> we call them the lobbyists. The yeah. lobbyists love the lobby. But now the, the, and that's younger, where you now the and, older people uh-huh. are now in the lobby, whereas the younger people are outside. At the pool. They're either at the pool or the other area. So it's, a, it's something for everyone. Well, it's got to be a dilemma because you have you have this constraint of time. Yeah. You want people to have time at the pool, relaxing, refreshing, whatever. You also want them to be able to go and hear these amazing speakers that you're literally flying in from all around the world. And then you also want them to be involved in the sports. Yeah. And then for many of us, we took time off for our you know few days off. And so we would love to maybe go sightseeing as well if right. we're in a cool city. With that being said, you've got a, a wide, diverse audience. Yeah. So here's what we did. We, we created a second event. In Washington, D.C., we are hosting our National Spring Conference, and that is a national policy conference. It's uh, The f- name is being thrown around. Uh, we're fin- finalizing it, but we signed the contract to do a conference. Pretty much it's going to be a convention without the pool parties, without the uh, entertainment aspect every Are day. you going to bring the educational people? Educational people is key. You're right. People would always say there's so much going on at the convention. You you can't get to all the – you want to be at the lectures, but you have, want to be at the pool. And sometimes there's, there's multiple hard. lectures multiple. happening at the same right. time. So we've balanced that out where they're not. that's not going to happen. So what we've done is uh, we're doing a three-day event. It's going to be uh, – first day is for the advocates, uh, people who like to advocate, uh, interested in Washington, D.C., politics and advocacy. First day is a Syrian day on the hill where you're going to go – we're taking um, people to go and, and sit in the Capitol Hill Center. And they're going to be hosted, and then we're going to have congressmen and senators come in and speak on our issues. That's one. And then, then we're going to go break up in groups, and everybody will go each – uh, to each of their congressmen and senator within their own districts and their states to meet them, to take pictures, enjoy, and to understand what Washington, D.C. is about and understanding our government and how stuff happens. Then uh, second day, that night, we'll be doing an entertainment networking event like Social Mixer. Yeah. And then that next day— But you're day, not going to require a singer and a band and all these exactly. kinds of things. And the next day will be a Friday and Saturday panel and education lectures and culture. Those of us who want to learn more about what it means to be an Assyrian and want to be educated and want to also understand the politics, we now have this event. And then for those of us that are looking for strictly social, we want to reconnect with the people we grew up with. We've got the Assyrian Convention. You still got the sports. You still got the parties. You're still going well, you to have do some, some education. Some education. Okay. And that's what we did last year. We just we took scaled it down a little bit on the educational side because that was the lacking. It was well, the, the timing presentations and are excellent. The people yeah. that you bring in give their basically they're bringing it, but often they're bringing it for a room of twelve people. No, that's uh, well, you, you. I don't think you were there last year, were you? I, I mean, it was. Uh, it's been seventy-five to hundred. No, no, no. Some of them, some, some of them are completely are, packed. Yes. Yeah, some of them have grown. That what they you right used to be because it was 12, 13, 15, and then the timing wouldn't be right because it would be too early. And I for think people, it's and it was your target market. Who was your target market? What were you basing it at? Like for example, you, you'd be up what time? You mean in the morning in the to morning. go to the lectures? Uh, you'd be up nine, ten a.m. Sure. I mean, there's be people st- 
sleeping until one o'clock. Because we were partying the night before. Partying the night before, so you can't have all of it at the same time. It doesn't work because if you have a party at two a.m. until two a.m., you can't have a lecture at nine a.m. Right, or you can't set the championship soccer match to be when your best speaker is going to be speaking. Exactly, you're putting people in a bad position. Or we have our own meeting at the same time as those lectures. I'd like to go listen. So I became president as soon as I was done. I went up to listen to one of the most important lectures, and I was glad. I just became president. I went up to listen to this meeting. You know, it's like it was important. So that's what we're doing. We're shifting it. And that that is to gain the support and base that we have lost. And we tried to do that a little bit last I year. I feel like the conventions think, are well attended. I'd love it to be a lot more. And I mean, we should definitely be in D.C. every year or in that area because we need to we need to make sure that we our identity as a Syrian-Americans, especially a Syrian-American National Federation, takes its place as the main speaker and advocate for our people and that's what it should be in washington we shouldn't let third party people uh, who say they represent us represent us when they don't or individuals who are just for their own benefit so a shift that you're making right now as the president and with you know in cooperation with all the affiliates is to say we're in a special period of time when being on the hill matters when getting those pictures taken and connecting with those people and really letting our voice so we're going to now create a separate event from our regular conventions that will help us push all that forward. And it's not just going to be in D.C. D.C. is going to be a part of it. It's always going to be a part of D.C. But it's not just D.C. It's also other events like other other areas. But this is a – we're going to shift from one main conference to two conferences. And this is a test year right. because it hasn't been done before. And I haven't heard, seen much advertising for that. We have yet. not. We have not started the advertising because, we, because of New Year's. But – I think the substantive stuff, if we put it, people will come to it, yeah. and and it will attract a lot of non-Assyrians, mm-hmm. too, because D.C. has a lot of people interested oh, yeah. in our issues, yeah. and they're all going to be there. Yeah. So I would, I'd, I'd, uh, we're going to put stuff out, and if anybody has any advice or anything wants to rec- make a recommendation, we'll be happy to you know listen. They have our website, www.anf.org. Just reach out to us, and you know we'll be happy to answer. One of the issues I've seen is for those of us who've grown up going to the conventions, it's become somewhat formulaic. We know what's going to happen. It's repetitive. And so, you know, you lose excitement. Right. So how do you mitigate that? How do you say we want to have parties? We want to make these things fun. And now that you have two events, that's certainly going to help because you could really focus on the entertainment portion. You'll have to have different types of events. So last year we brought uh, Sargon Benjamin who created a coding class yeah. for younger kids. We had arts and crafts. Kids were uh, participating. We had art. We had actually a, uh, when people go and you know how they uh, paint and drink, uh, we had a painting class within the Federation. Oh, and we had a dance workshop. So you're adding more cultural events. We're adding more cultural events than just, you don't just come to a party and dance. We actually have workshops now, different workshops. We have advocacy workshop. We have a youth summit. The youth summit is big. The youth summit is big. The youth summit is growing each year and it's growing and it's becoming amazing. Why can't the youth summit be the same time as the convention? It is. Well, it's the day before. You have to get there early. Is because we want to make sure everybody gets their part. One, we have it from Thursday on. They're youth. They're all out of school. It's during that. So we want to make sure the focus is on them. It's all for them. We give them two days of all access. They get whatever they want, and then they fill it up. And then the lecturers that may have their own lectures and this other days can also lecture for them. And the overarching concern and theme for you with all these different events that you're talking about is you simply want the Assyrian nation to... Make sure that the Assyrian nation thrives. Yeah. And, and to the best of your ability, to- you're trying to create these in 
experiences that yeah, will last serve a that. lifetime. And then, what would and you then like? What if there's an Assyrian listening to this podcast and they're thinking about the upcoming convention or this thing that's happening in DC? What do you want them to know about all of it? Not just the upcoming convention or what's happening in DC. If you're an Assyrian, you need to get involved and you need to do something. It's not just about getting involved. There's many ways to get involved. And it's not just only within the Assyrian community. You know, representing Assyrians everywhere is, is great. Fine. You know, if you're with a non-Assyrian organization, fine. But just make sure that they know you're Assyrian. They know your community. They know what you're about. But for your own community, you should also definitely do something and be a part of it and help build. If you don't have a connection with your community in your area, let us know. We have affiliates everywhere in Chicago, in Illinois, in uh, in Connecticut, in Arizona, in California. Be a part of those affiliates if you can. Join, go to one of the events. Do that. I mean, but what I want you to take is that there is a pl place for you that Assyrians are not extinct. Because we're scattered all over the world and, and we're trying to one day establish the Ninwah Plain maybe for a province and for what we can do, so hopefully one day become an Assyria, an independent state one day just like everyone else gets in Assyria, uh, gets their own country, that would be a dream. But right now we're trying to make sure we preserve our people, our, our, our identity, our name who we are. So you as an Assyrian, what you can take from this is that the Assyrian American National Federation is a platform and a place where you can bring your family and come and be a part of, of your community. And it wants you to see it's a sense of community that our affiliates and others are building and it's bringing everyone together. And that's the goal. Connecting, uh, the, connecting our people around the world. I love that. And we that's what to. we, that's what Assyrians enjoy too, connecting with other Assyrians and yeah. hearing their stories and, uh, parting with them. And that's great. One of the areas I think that the Assyrian National Convention is sorely lacking and really, you know, frustrates me is there's no chess tournament. Yeah. Can we push a, for an Assyrian yeah, chess tournament? Chess or a Konkan tournament there or we best go. chai. Spades, can we best play chai, some spades? spades? That's right. Uh, Let's so do, many. Can we do a blindfolding contest, have the people who cook the food, and then we can vote on you know, everyone tastes the dolma of different, and then they vote without knowing who made it. Have a championship. You could do that. Match for. It's always fun. Um, well, thank you, Martin, so much for coming on to the Assyrian podcast, and I hope that we can see you again and connect on what's the latest with the convention. Definitely, and definitely, and hopefully, the Assyrian podcast will be uh, airing uh, interview live at the conventions and the events that we have. I hope so too. You can do them direct from there and put them up. But uh, thank you, Steve. This is great. A Syrian podcast. I wish you all the success. Uh, Silver week. Fox 121. Silver Fox 121 out. Instagram. Hashtag. Uh, Find him on Facebook. Party he, on. Is a, he is our representative and he's doing. He's leading our nation through the Federation. I'm trying my best. Thank you. See you next time. All right, bro.